Thanks for joining me as we take a look at the book of Numbers. It's more than just counting. It's studying and learning more about the character of God and the expectations that he has on us as his people. Let's dig in. Hey, and welcome to week six of our study in Numbers. I can't believe that we're already at week six and we have one more week of homework to go and one more podcast and then our study will have wrapped up and it just seems like we just got started and got kind of settled into, hey, this isn't so bad. And now here we are already at week six. I just want to review and go over just even the title as I named this and as I was doing the study and planning it, just order, obedience, and expectation, living in the camp of a holy God. And I really hope each week that that's what you've seen is that there was order, that there was a obedience and there was expectation from God and that's how he expected the people to live in the camp with him as he was the holy God in the center of the camp there so um, just thinking about that I hope that's what you've gotten from this I hope that's what you think about as you do the homework Um, and it's just more eye-opening for you I really that is my prayer as we do this study so this week I do have a few things I want to review from the past week Um, it was only two days of homework but I didn't, I, there's no possible way for me to cover everything I want to say in the homework. And some of it just needs a teaching opportunity to explain some of it, to point to some of it. And it also requires after you've read it and looked over it, then for me to touch on a few places and just point them out. Even if it's kind of covering some of the homework again, I just really want to put some emphasis on it. So I have a little list here. First of all, um, I want us to see that This is another opportunity why we need to study scripture as a whole. Connecting chapter 8 and what we read in Numbers chapter 8 this week about the dedication of the Levites and the consecration of the Levites to the Lord as the presentation in front of the tabernacle to the Lord. As we studied that this week, we could understand so much more because we had the background from Numbers chapter 3. Now, in Numbers chapter 3, that was the part where God explained how the Levites would not be a tribe among the 12 tribes, but they would be a separate people. They would be called to the Lord's work to do the Lord's service. Okay, Numbers 3 explained to us the redeeming of the firstborns of all the other tribes that, that was going to come through the Levites. Remember, they were exchanged for the firstborn, and then there weren't enough Levites, so then they had shekels that paid for the 200-plus um, extra firstborn that existed that there were not Levites to redeem for. So because we studied that in chapter 3, we now have a greater understanding of what's happening in Numbers chapter 8. Okay, um, It's good stuff. And I just think this is another opportunity to say sometimes it's great to study topically. Absolutely. There's a sense of, um, I think I've said this before, maybe even on this podcast, but in other groups that I've studied, uh, done study with, I feel so much like I would love to do a study on glory, the glory of the Lord or our glory or how we receive his glory and he receives glory from us and just that word glory and what that means throughout the Bible and throughout all of scripture. That would be a very topical study, but it would be important and it would be help us gain understanding of who God is and who we are and what his character is and how that means for us to live. But sometimes we have to just sit down 
and not skip through a section and not just keep working through um, the topics. We have to sit down and work through an entire book or an entire section or entire passage and not just pick out a verse or two that we like. And I think that that reading in Numbers chapter 8 this week really gave us a greater understanding because we have studied Numbers chapter 3. Um, I think also, um, if you have an opportunity, I think that at our church, um, Lindsay's going to begin a study called Seamless, and I think that's going to help. It's a story of how the Bible is a seamless book from start to finish, from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation. It's only seven or eight weeks, I think, but again, if there's something like that where you can have this overview, I think those are fantastic, and how it is all connected. The Word of God is connected. Okay. That's just a note that I had as reading over and doing the homework this week. Really important. Don't miss that. Okay. Um, Secondly, I want to talk about the consecration of the Levites for a minute. We're going to read, I want to read in Numbers chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. So turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. This was part of your homework. You've already read it, but I want to reread it again here. The Lord spoke to Moses. Take the Levites from among the Israelites and ceremonially cleanse them. Do this for them, do this to them for their purification. Sprinkle them with the purification water. Have them shave their entire bodies and wash their clothes and so purify themselves. So these are the three things that I think you wrote, either I had written or I think you wrote in what are the three things the Levites have to do before they could be presented to the Lord? Well, they had to be sprinkled with purification water. They had to shave their entire body and they had to wash their clothes. And I want to take a moment, if you are not in the classroom setting that I taught this last Wednesday, we talked about all the different sacrifices um, and the offerings that the people brought in their carts and presented to the tabernacle when the tabernacle was completed. That was last week's podcast and last week's study. And someone asked in that class, well, I mean, what happened to all the ashes as the stuff was burned? If they're not supposed to touch anything unclean, you can only imagine that after all these sacrifices and offerings that there would be a huge amount of ashes all over the place and all around that altar of burning. Well, that's true. To answer that this week, it was several steps. First of all, I asked the question in the passage we just read, what is purification water? So I began to do this study of like, is this just water? Would that be water that came where the priests were supposed to wash their hands at that basin before they entered the tabernacle or before they um, did a sacrifice on the altar? No. Purification water, we're going to turn to Numbers chapter 19. Numbers chapter 19. We're going to read all of verses 1 through 10. But this answers last week's question from that group of what happened with all these ashes. And it's also going to explain to us what purification water is. So Numbers chapter 19 verses 1 through 10. We're going to read. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. This is the legal statute that the Lord has commanded. Instruct the Israelites to bring you an unblemished red cow that has no defect and it has never been yoked. Give it to the priest Eleazar and he will have it brought outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence. Now, make a note here. Eleazar was one of Aaron's sons. So he was Aaron and his sons were the priests. This one just happens to be the priest Eleazar instead of the priest Aaron. Okay, Um, They were all in that same family. The priest Eleazar is to take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle it seven times towards the front of the tent of the meeting. The cow is to be burned in his sight. Its hide, flesh, and blood are to be burned along with its waist. 
The priest is to take cedar wood, hyssop, and crimson yarn and throw them onto the fire where the cow is burning. Then the priest must wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. After that, he may enter the camp, but he will remain ceremonially unclean until evening. The one who burned the cow must also wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and he will remain unclean until evening. A man who is clean is to gather up the cow's ashes and deposit them outside the camp in a ceremonial clean place. So here we have this man who is clean, because everybody who's done this dealt with this dead body and dealt with the ashes and the fire and the blood and everything, they are unclean. So someone who is clean is going to go in and pick up the ashes and deposit them in this very special ceremonial place. Keep reading. The ashes will be kept by the Israelite community for preparing the water to remove impurity. It is a sin offering. So here we have, this is the purification waters that they're talking about in Numbers chapter 8. Okay, someone was in charge of disposing the ashes. They took the ashes. They left them in this ceremonial clean place. At some point, they got mixed with water, and they would be sprinkled over the priest. Okay, that's the first step that happened. And I just wanted to answer that question because like, oh, okay, that's what purification water is. It may not really make that much difference to us, but even that is a detailed explanation of God having a plan. When I say this, that you need the purification water, I'm also going to give you the steps of how you make it and where it comes from. Another one of his provisional ways. Okay, the second question. What is up with shaving the entire body? <laughs> I just thought, now we know there's some cleanliness that goes with that. That probably would have um, happened. But this was very similar to the practice of the Egyptian priests of those days. They um, shaved their bodies every three days as a means of purification. Shaving was just part of the Nazarites, as we saw in the previous chapter. When they were done with their Nazarite vow, then they would shave um, all their hair off. And shaving was also a part in cleansing of the lepers. They would also shave all of their body. So, and keep in mind, this was their entire body, their head, their facial hair, their body hair, their eyebrows, everything. Um, when I think about this, it would have been very obvious someone who had recently gone through this cleansing process. <clears throat> I think it would be interesting as you walk through the camp and intermingled in the tribes and walked amongst the people, it would be very clear those who were Levites and had just been dedicated themselves to the work of the tabernacle or the temple, um, the tabernacle in the wilderness and the temple later, um, that they would have been completely clean shaven. And those who were Nazarites <clears throat> for a certain period of time, uh, especially like Samson, who was a Nazarite for life, they would have had that very, very long hair. And that's where we, I talked about um, they would have that man bun. You know, they would have to put it up in a man bun, I guess, the first original man bun. Um, but when you walked among the people, you would be able to see outwardly Someone who had either just completed a Nazarite vow, someone who was dedicated to work in the temple and they were a priest um, or a Levite, um, or someone who was currently as a Nazarite and serving that out and their hair was growing longer and longer and longer. There was just outward showing of where they were and where they lined up with God in their personal relationship with him and then the calling on his life for those Levites specifically. I just think it's very interesting. Um, so this purification water goes on. Then they have to shave themselves. And the third, the third part that they had to do was wash the clothes, which makes completely complete sense. And they actually did them in this order. So they were sprinkled. Well, they were sprinkled with this water mixed with dirty ashes. Then they shaved all of their hair off 
Well, of course, then they had to wash their clothes because their clothes were probably full of ashes and water and mud from the purification and then little tiny hairs and long hairs as they did the shaving. So then they washed their clothes. I just appreciated so clearly. There's not a wonder. There's not a like, well, yeah, you're just a Levi because your name's a Levi. No, there's these steps to take. And then before they could be presented, before holy God, they had to take these steps of purification. And then they would walk in front of the tabernacle there and present themselves as a wave offering and say, we are here. Um, it's, we just have to pay attention to the details sometimes, that the details really mattered. The details mattered. So, um, speaking of details that mattered, uh, the third thought I had, the third question I had is, did anyone note the age discrepancy in Numbers chapter 8 from what we had read before? Okay, we're going to go back and I want to look at Numbers chapter 4. Numbers chapter 4. So we're still in the book of Numbers. It shouldn't take you too long to turn there. Numbers chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, among the Levites, take a census of the Kohathites by their clans and their ancestral families, men from 30 years old to 50 years old. How old? Men from 30 to 50 years old. Everyone who is qualified to do the work at the tent of meeting. Okay, turn your page if you need to. We're going to read verses 21 through 23. The Lord spoke to Moses, take a census of the Gershonites also by their ancestral families and their clans. Register men from 30 years old to 50 years old. Everyone who is qualified to perform service, to do the work at the tent of meeting. And then we're going to read uh, verses 29 and 30. As for the Merarites, you are to register them by their clans and their ancestral families. Register men from 30 years old to 50 years old. Everyone who is qualified to do the work of the tent of meeting. Now, these remember, they're specifically qualified to perform service, to do work at the tent of meeting. That word work in Hebrew is the heavy lifting, the moving, the transferring, the effort work at the tent of meeting. Okay, now we're going to look and read Numbers 8, back to Numbers chapter 8, where we were this week. Numbers chapter 8, we're going to start with verse 23. The Lord spoke to Moses. In regard to the Levites, from 25 years old or more, a man enters the service in the work at the tent of meeting. But at 50 years old, he is to retire from his service in the work and no longer serve. Now, that is that word work. That is that word of lifting the heavy beams, wrapping and carrying those heavy articles, the basin, the Ark of the Covenant, the table of presents, um, the curtains that were there. Okay, that's the work, that Hebrew word for work. But continue on verse 26. He may assist his brothers to fulfill responsibilities at the tent of meeting, but he must not do the work. Now, some of these, uh, some of your versions may say, your translations may say, as that fulfill responsibilities um, to keep guard. Okay, so that's what happened. At, they were doing the work from either 25 to 50 or 30 to 50, the work of that heavy lifting work. But they were also to serve for their entire lives. They could continue to serve. And that meant that guard, that service guard, where they were all camped and camped around the tabernacle. So they would all be there. They could guard and continue that past the age of 50 and probably before the age of 25 and 30. So I just kind of wondered and wanted to look at why were there different entry points? Um, why did one passage say 30 and 50 and one passage said 25 to 50? And I was read over commentaries and I studied this a little bit. I think that it was based on the amount of Levites currently serving 
I mean, the number would go up and down uh, based on how many deaths there were and how many, you know, um, lived and survived and what happened. So how many there were that could serve that were between those ages. Um, perhaps the death of Aaron's other two sons. Remember, that was way weeks ago, how Aaron's other two sons, Nadab and Abihu, they brought the unauthorized fire offering to the Lord and they were struck down immediately. So also their families and the people under them, it could be because of those, the death of those two sons. Maybe they needed to increase the age 25 to 50 instead of 30 to 50. Now, later when David counts the Levites, he counts them um, further in a book. Ooh, I can't remember which book it was that I read it in, um, in David, but he counts Levites ages 30 to 50. So I think it could have just been a changing age depending on the demand. That's what they kind of said in some commentaries as well. Um, over time, different, you know, the tribe would grow and that, well, the tribe, the group would grow and the group would shrink depending on um, death rates and birth rates and everything. So, however, the retirement age was always 50. So they could still serve as the guard around the tabernacle, but they did not do that heavy lifting and moving of the tabernacle things once they reached age 50. Okay. So then I thought about the Levites this week. Where are they now? Where are the Levites now? What is happening with the family of Levites in current history, in the rest of Old Testament history, into New Testament history, and today? Because there is still a lineage among Jewish people. They can trace back to what tribe they are from. And it's really important that they know that and they identify with that tribe still. So I wanted to do an entire study of famous Levites and priests that we see throughout Scripture. I thought this week that's actually what I was going to do. And as I began to unfold this, it was so much. I mean, I would like to just point them out and connect them to a passage. Um, I would like to have named who their forefathers were and their line of their family. Like, I could have done a whole separate study, though, really, on this one topic. And maybe one day I would. It could be like an eight-week study on various priests and Levites and their families and their outcome of their leadership and who they led under and how things went. But for this week, it is not possible. <laughs> it's not even something that I can begin to touch. Um, the more I began to dig into it a couple of weeks ago, I was like, wow, this is a whole separate study all by itself. So I'm going to be very cursory and try to cover <clears throat> on the surface of things um, about the priest and what happened from here. So, And I'm going to go specifically with priests because Levites um, are such a huge mass of people. So I'm going to talk about priests in this section, but... So some famous high priests that we're familiar with. We are, you may be familiar with Melchizedek, and he was the priest before this. He was the priest before Moses, before this group. He was the priest that was so different and unique, and he was the priest with Abraham. And you can go back and read that. I, again, there's just not time to explain all of it, and there's some of it that can't really be explained. So we're not going to touch that. But that's a high priest you would have been familiar with his name if you've read the Old Testament scriptures too much. Melchizedek. Well, then we have Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. He's the one that we're studying currently. Um, another priest was Levi. Levi was the priest that, um, if you've been in our services, Tim has been preaching through the book of 1 Samuel, and Eli was the priest, and Samuel had to go and tell Eli, hey, Eli, you know what? You're the priest, but like, there's no way your sons can be the priest because they are really terrible kids. They're really bad news. Um, again, see, I think that's really interesting to know. So then what happened? And but we don't have time for that. That'll have to be your own study. Um, later in the priest, there's, if you've read, again, more of the New Testament, I mean, Old Testament, um, Zadok the priest, just when I began to read names 
Abihu is a priest, I believe. I began to read names of um, priest and high priest, and I thought, oh, wow, these are a lot of names that I'm familiar with. I don't think I ever would have connected them with being priest. Really interesting study. Just don't have time for it right now. Um, but I do want to look at the New Testament. So in the New Testament, where do we see priest and or Levites showing up? Well, in the book of Luke, Jesus tells the parable about the Good Samaritan. And when I think about priests and Levites in the New Testament, this is the first thought I had was about this parable where the man is hurt and robbed on the side of the road and a priest passes by and walks on the other side of the road and the Levite passes by and walks on the other side of the road and they do absolutely nothing for this man who has been beaten and nearly dead. And then a Samaritan walks by and he picks up the man and he takes him and he carries him on his donkey and he takes him to an inn and he pays the money and he says, whatever the cost is, I will take care. Please take care of this man and I will pay it. Okay, I thought, wow, that is a horrible example of a priest and a Levite. But when we think about it, um, it could have been because the, the priest and the Levite didn't want to touch unclean things. I mean, that could be because that's very much the law. But this parable was based on when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he gives this example of how we're supposed to care for each other. Um, so I think that, yeah, it's not a great example of being a priest and a Levite in New Testament times. Jesus was clearly saying, these guys are getting it wrong. Um, now, in the New Testament, things were pretty messed up with the Jewish folks by then, and there was the whole Roman influence, and the laws were being made stricter and tighter by the religious folks, but then other guys were being very influenced by Rome and saddling up to Rome and cozying up to them. So I don't know. I don't mean, I don't know which way it went, but clearly Jesus was saying, you know what, that priest and the Levite, they should have shown mercy. They could have gone through the ritual cleaning, cleansing. They could have picked up that man and saved him and valued his life, gone through some ritual cleansing, still been able to show mercy and do the right thing. But Jesus is clearly pointing out, yeah, they didn't get it right. It was on a pretty bad trajectory at that point for the priests and the Levites. So then we come to Annas and Caiaphas. They were the high priest during Jesus' life. I didn't really put all this together until I was doing this study, and it was very eye-opening for me. Um, again, at this time, it was the Romans who were choosing who the high priest would be. Like, it doesn't seem like that should be the case, but they had, it, it was just a mess. It was a mess. So that cozying up to Rome and the families that cozied up to Rome ended up being the religious people in charge here. So Rome was in charge. And I don't know why they continued to choose from the Levites, but they did continue to choose from the Levites. But Rome got to pick who the high priest was going to be. So Annas was the high priest, and then he got replaced by Caiaphas. Um, he, Caiaphas was the son-in-law to Annas, so kept it in the family of Levites. We're going to look at this a little bit more closely. Turn to Luke chapter 3. Luke 3. Back over in the New Testament. And keep in mind... When I'm saying this, these are the priests that were under the same law, under the same expectations as they were in the Old Testament. The way that God had set up, and when he said, this is a statute for all of time, as long as you are my people, they should have still been living under this. Okay, but they were not. So Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Judea, 
Herod was tetrarch of Galilee. His brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Aturia and Trachonitis. And Lysanias, Trekarch of Abilene. I should have skipped that because it doesn't really matter. But those guys, okay, this is what's happening. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, these are the other people who are reigning. Look at verse 2. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into the, all the vicinity of Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So this is the time period. Here we have the high priesthood, and there were two high priests here, um, overlapping kind of Annas, but then it gets moved on to Caiaphas pretty quickly. Um, this was John the Baptist. John the Baptist, this is a time period where John the Baptist, and God's word came to him, and the, God says, hey, go start preaching this message of forgiveness and baptism and what's going to come, and that Jesus is coming. And so this is the beginning of the ministry. Here we have John the Baptist. What happens? Let's read the book of John, continuing in the New Testament. John chapter 18. I always give you all a moment, because I don't know how long it takes. I have all my tabs marked in my Bible. So John chapter 18, verses 12 through 14. So, Annas and Caiaphas, they are the high priest. They are the ones who are supposed to be doing things like they were done in the Old Testament. They were supposed to be living under the law that God had given. They were supposed to be keeping it. They were actually supposed to be serving God fully in worship and work and what they did as redemption of the rest of the Israelites. So important. This is what happens. John chapter 18, verse 12 through 14. Then the company of soldiers, the commander, and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus and tied him up. First they led him to Annas, the high priest, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be better for one man to die for the people. Make a note, that's exactly what happened. One man did die for the sins of the world. One man did die for all of the people. Now, I don't believe that Caiaphas is saying this out of some great um, spiritual depth and God spoke into his life and he understood. He's saying, hey, listen, y'all are causing a lot of trouble. There's a lot of riffraff going on. There's a lot of um, upheaval and uproar that Rome's having to deal with and all these disciples that are following Jesus. You know what? It's better for one man, this guy Jesus, to die for the people than for us to have to arrest all these people for worse things to happen. If we can just get rid of this Jesus guy, it's going to be better. That's what he was saying from his heart. But what we know is that's exactly what happened. One man did die for the sins of the world. Almost as he was predicting it and as priest here he is saying, here's a sacrifice that should happen. Okay, We're going to continue reading in John 18, the same chapter, um, but let's go down to verses 19 through 24. The high priest, that's um, he was before Annas, I believe. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus answered him. I have always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all the Jews congregate. And I, have spoken, I haven't spoken anything in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officials standing by Jesus saying, Is this the way you slap? Oh, sorry, y'all. When he said those things, one of the officials standing by slapped Jesus saying, Is this the way you answer the high priest? 
Now, when I had originally read this um, several months ago, last year, I don't know, when I was working through the book of John, my side note is actually the man slapped Jesus. He just went and ups and slapped Jesus, which is unreal. Like we can't even imagine just slapping Jesus. But what he's saying is, this is the way you answer the high priest. Like you're being Jesus, you're being so disrespectful to the high priest that he slapped him. Jesus says in verse 23, if I have spoken wrongly, Jesus answered him, give evidence about the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why did you hit me? Then Annas sent him, being Jesus, bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So what's going to happen here? Continue on. We're going to look in verses 28. Um, And we're going to read a little while here, 28 through 19, 16. Okay, it's going to be a little bit of reading, but I want you to follow because it's really important. And think about these are the high priest, what we know in numbers. Listen to what we're going to read here. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas, the high priest, to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves, otherwise they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. So they were the real, they were the rule keepers. They were like, you know what? This is Jewish. Passover is about to happen. We know the rules. We know how we should do this. We're not going to go in. We'll be defiled. So Pilate came out to them and said, what charge do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Pilate told them, you take him and judge him according to your law. It's not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. They said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, indicating what kind of death he was going to die. Then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? I love that, right? Jesus, so great. I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied. Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You are a king then, Pilate asked. Will you say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this and I have come into the world for this to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is truth, said Pilate. After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again. Pilate did. He goes out to the Jews again and he tells them, I find no grounds for charging him. You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? That's what happened in Passover. They had one, and it's later that we haven't read and we haven't covered, but there's the, the two lambs, it might have been two goats, but like one was let go as the, as the Passover lamb, the sacrificial lamb that was let go, and then one was um, sacrificed. So do you not want me to release you to the king of the Jews? They shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. Then Pilate took Jesus and he had him flogged. And the soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and clothed him in a purple robe. And they kept coming up to him and saying, Hail, king of the Jews, and were slapping his face. And Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priest and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. Stop and think about them for a moment. Here are the chief priests, the ones who are to worship, to sacrifice, to stand between the people of Israel and the rest of the tribes. And the holy God 
and say, we make right for them. We lean in and we carry their weight of sin and we come and we sacrifice so we are presented to the Lord. We are the Lord's people. They shouted, crucify, crucify. Pilate responded, take him and crucify him yourself since I find no grounds for charging him. We have a law, the Jews replied to him, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? You would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it hadn't been given to you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. From that moment, Pilate kept trying to release him, but the Jews shouted, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down on the judge's seat in a place called the Stone Pavement. It was the preparation day for the Passover, and it was about noon. Then he told the Jews, Here is your king. And they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Then he handed him over to be crucified. This is the response from the chief priest. We have no king but Caesar. And what has happened is they have allowed Rome to come in and take over. And they have forgotten the Lord that they serve. And they said, no, we're all about Rome and the king. And that's whose side we choose. I just was so struck with how completely off and how completely wrong they had gone from the Old Testament numbers through all the Old Testament. And we will see like the priests that, that represent and stand for God. And like if you study that, they're, they're there and they're doing that. And even here, they still have the tabernacle. They're still doing um, the sacrifices. They're still living under like it's still happening. But no, they've turned. They've turned from God and they're choosing Rome and they send Jesus to die. And part of it, they send Jesus to die. So here we are, ultimately, the chief priests who are doing sacrifices and following through and performing sacrifices and offerings on behalf of the people so they can be forgiven of their sins. Here we have the chief priest sending Jesus to be the ultimate sacrifice, to be the ultimate perfect lamb that is slain for our sins once and for all. It's just, I wish I had words to put and make it sound so well in one wrapped up sentence, but I don't. I just want you to understand and feel the weight of that and the, whoa, it's the chief priest in Numbers. It's the chief priest in John that sends the animal the sacrificed animal, to take away the sins of the people. Okay. What happens next? The first five chapters of Acts, after Jesus dies and, and you know, comes back, um, the first five chapters of Acts, Annas and Caiaphas are trying to get the disciples to be quiet, and they threaten them. Um, they, they're just really still causing a lot of trouble. After those guys pass, it's really hard to know what happened to the role of the priest in Jewish culture. Um, the Romans came in, and they destroyed the temple, 
And Judaism has had to exist since like AD 70 when the temple was destroyed. Without the temple, there is the Wailing Wall that still exists, but there's no more sacrificial system that's not happening anymore. Um, some because of Jesus, some because the, the Jews that were still Jewish and said, I don't align my life with Christ, I'm staying Jewish, I, I'm, I believe in the Old Testament and the Torah and the law, and that's what I live out under. Um, well, there's no temple to do the sacrificial system. So the role of the rabbi and the teacher becomes even greater at this point. Okay. And one last thing I want to say before we run out of time here. But for us, for us now, for those of us in Christ, after Jesus, okay, after his death and resurrection, for those of us in Christ, we no longer have to go with lambs or rams or goats or grains to be forgiven and right with God. And we very much talked about that last week. But I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Since we're talking about what happened to these Levites, what happened to these priests, where are they these days? I want to go to 1 Peter. So turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter is after Hebrew James. Peter. Before 1, 2, and 3 John. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. This is what Peter tells us that we know is the word of God to us now as we are his people. We are Jesus' people. We are God's people now. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now we are the royal priesthood. We are chosen for him to be his, to represent him our lives are a wave offering, a presentation offering in front of him to carry out his tasks in this world. It is now our responsibility to lead those around us to Christ. It is our responsibility to worship well. It is our responsibility to set an example for how things will look um, for the people who are worshiped and called to Christ and God around us. So um, let's see. I'm going to pause just a moment. I'll be right back. Okay, so now looking at the week ahead. So we just needed to wrap that up. I know the podcast was getting kind of long. Um, looking ahead, you're going to complete chapter 9, the rest of chapter 9, and continue up to chapter 10, 10, which is the end of this study. Um, <clears throat> the second half of Numbers 9 is about the Israelites being on the move. And it's about this cloud to guide them. And I just really, um, I want you to think about this. just wasn't any old cloud. This is the first time the presence of God shows up in this cloud form is Exodus 13, 20 through 22. Exodus 13, 20 through 22. And I am going to read it real quick just because I don't want to skip out um, and shorten it. Exodus 13, 20 through 22. It's after um, they were leaving Egypt and they had set out and they had gone a little ways, but starting in verse 20 of Exodus 13. They set out from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they would travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. Never. That's really important. So we're going to talk about that, the cloud that you're going to see. And then I was thinking about that cloud. So that's the first time the cloud, the pillar of fire, the cloud or the pillar of fire shows up for them. When does this leave? When does it leave? And the best I could find 
There isn't any specific text or verse that tells us when God's presence in that cloud disappeared, but several commentaries suggest that the cloud was no longer needed as the people crossed into the promised land. I mean, he promised them the promised land. He said he would not leave them during their wandering, that he would lead them. He led them for those 40 years with the cloud and the pillar of fire. And when they crossed into the promised land, two things happened. First of all, as soon as they ate the food of the promised land, they never received manna again. So that was significant in the book of Joshua. We see that. That also commentators really believe that after they crossed into the promised land, there was no need for God to lead them any further. They had the land. And from there, Joshua had sent them out and said, okay, everybody go scout this part. And this is the part that you're supposed to take. And um, actually Moses had worked some of that before that they'd even entered the promised land. So they knew where they were going and not, they were supposed to go and settle and settle. So they no longer needed the leading of the cloud. Um, so think about that as you get into the rest of Numbers 9, and then you'll get into chapters 10, which is the forming of some trumpets, which is going to kind of be their sim- signal noises so they know when to go and where to go and how to go. So finish your homework. We're going to meet again next week. I don't want to leave you hanging with what happens next. I think we, next week in the podcast we might talk about, okay, so what happens after Numbers chapter 10, verse 10? We shall see. So go complete your homework. Have a great week. Be in the word. See the um, character of God as you study this week. See his provision for these people and see his expectations as you go. All right. Enjoy your week.